All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. I'm Mill Snell, one of your co-hosts, joined by Bill D'Alessandro and Michael Girdley. Acquisitions Anonymous is... We quickly became somehow the number one podcast on M&A because there are not that many. And uh, we talk about small businesses for sale. Uh, we're usually joined by a guest. And we have an awesome guest today, Xavier Helgeson from Enduring Ventures, uh, that I'll let Xavier, kind of just describe you guys holding company structure and the way that you approach things. But we're really glad you're here with us today and we have some fun deals to talk about. Really glad to be here, Mills. Yeah, briefly on Enduring Ventures, it's a, it's a long-term holding company. Uh, we, we aspire to be a baby Berkshire. So we kind of uniquely do both tech and non-tech businesses. So uh, we have, um, which, which sort of plays to my background, so I founded a large e-commerce um, seller called Better World Books, which which has a very heavy logistics component to it, um, physically shipping books all over the country. And then I also founded a solar company in Africa uh, called Zola Electric that that went down the the venture funded path and raised raised a lot of money, serves about a million people in Africa with uh, electric light. And so uh, yeah, so we found Enduring Ventures. I founded with Sieva Kaczynski about a little two and a half years ago now. And we've been pretty active. We've done 10 acquisitions and, and started two companies out of it. That's awesome. So, it, you know, whenever my ears kind of perk up, right, when somebody says, I want to start a long-term holding company, because a lot of times people say that and they haven't, they don't necessarily have a critical mass, right? It's not a holding company. It's just like, I'm looking to do my first deal and I want to start a long-term hold co. And you guys are actually doing it and, and have done it uh, for a number of years. So I'm really glad you're here today and um, excited to have your insights. Before we get into our deals, Michael's got a word from our sponsors in our never-ending quest to break even on the podcast. Yeah, we could do it. We're going to make it. Yeah, so first sponsor this week is uh, SM Bash. So uh, we've talked about this event for the past couple of episodes, but it is a you know a niche event for small business M&A, so search funders and uh, small business operators, buyers, and, and that sort of thing. So and actually, the three of us, Xavier, are going to be speakers on both days, Friday and Saturday. Friday is about finding deals, and Saturday is about operating the deals. So uh, Bill is giving a talk on Saturday. I'm giving a talk about hiring on Saturday, and then we're recording an episode on Friday. So it's February 3rd through the 6th in Orlando. Um, tickets are pretty reasonable, and it's going to be nice and intimate and fun. So definitely thank you to these guys for sponsoring and encourage everybody to uh Give the show a chance. I think it'll be pretty cool. Looks looks great. If you need a way to b- bribe your spouse to let you go, I told my wife I was going. She was like, cool, I'm going to go to Orlando and go to Disney World with the kids. So have fun. <laughs> we have four That's kids. That's how we market this. This yeah. is basically Disney World for small business people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So we have we have a great deal today. Bill, you're taking our first deal, right? Yes, sir. Um, so Gurley, please uh, throw it up on the screen for the folks that are watching on YouTube, but I will... Walk you through it if you are in audio-only mode. As a reminder, this podcast is on YouTube as well, and you can see our horrifying faces and uh, <laughs> and Xavier's beautiful face, but the three of us, uh, and also the screen share of all the sims we talk about. So the first one, this is really interesting. This is a pool construction business. Uh, this sim is from 2019. It's a company called Dolphin Pools, uh, and they're based in Arizona. Uh, outside of Phoenix, and they build pools in your backyard. And if you're on YouTube, you can see them. They're beautiful pools, really nice. The trajectory of their sales in 2016, they did 14 million of pools. In 2017, they did 16 million of pools. 
2018, they did about 19 million of pools. Uh, and then as this went to market in mid 2019, they had done almost 11 million. So they're probably tracking for, you know, around 20 to 21 million full year. So, you know, really nice, stable growth. They've also shared some metrics in here about the permits in their area, which are growing, you know, nicely at kind of single digits as far as permits in, in the Phoenix area for pools. You know, it kind of shows the size of their market. They also show that the average price of one of the pools that they put in has risen from $35,000 in 2016, uh, peaked at about $40,000 in 2018, and is net like $39,000 in 2019 as they're selling the business. Company's been around since 1984, uh, which is pretty impressive. So really tenured. They've built over 7,500 pools in the Phoenix area, which is a lot of pools. Everybody in Phoenix has a pool if you've ever been to Phoenix. Great market for pools. They are projecting 21 million in sales for 2019 and $2.7 million of EBITDA. Um, so, you know, decent margins, a little, little north of 10%, kind of low teens margins. They're run by a tenured management team. Uh, they've got over 30 years growing dolphin pools. They've got reviewed financials from an accounting firm, which is not something you see very often, although you can't always trust it, but it's better than QuickBooks dump. Some great stats in here about kind of the growth opportunities. They say they want to get into, you know, commercial pools and expand there. They want to expand in their premier series, which is their $100,000 plus pools. You recall their average pool is about 40000 They want to do some vertical integration. Uh, you know, they're subbing a lot of stuff out. They're saying, hey, maybe we can do some of that on our own and save the sub fee. Um, and they say you can do better online marketing, as everybody says. Also, they could buy other pool companies to roll them up. Um, they're exploring a complete or majority sale of the business. Um, says management is looking for acquiring kind of capital and expertise. Uh, they don't really go into whether management's going to stick around or not. And then the rest of the deck kind of talks about, you know, their customers. Uh, they're mostly residential. So recall they're one of their growth sectors was going into commercial. But to me, I mean, this looks like very, very stable kind of year round, just digging holes in the ground, filling them with concrete and water over and over again in a market where the demand for pools seems to be growing as measured by the number of permits granted in, in Phoenix Metro. So what do you guys think about this deal? So are they, are they just doing new builds only? So build design, or is there also any sort of recurring revenue that, that comes from this? Uh, so, so my understanding is this is only build, build design. So essentially okay. pure new, new build, uh, pools. So no service. Not necessarily new big build homes though, right? Like if I have a home with no pool, that's still a new pool, right? That's still a new pool. And that's the most common situation. So there are some true new build homes where there's developers at the same time, uh, you know, buying a pool to, to sell it. But a lot, a lot of times someone buys a house, they remodel it and then they put a pool in and to increase the value. That's the classic Phoenix flip. New kitchen, new pool, flip. Yep. <laughs> Maybe a new master bath if you're lucky. So what kind of what kind of team comes with this? I mean, it, that's one of the questions kind of I ask a lot about a lot of deals. What am I actually buying? Am I getting a management team? Am I getting am I getting staff here? Obviously I'm getting brand and and experience in the market. What what other things, Xavier, do I do I maybe get to see when I buy this business? Yeah. So this one uh, this one there is um, there is a team. It's very it's a very operational team that you get with this business. It's um, people that really know how to execute the day to day building of pools and selling of pools. This is also a, a sales intensive business because you can imagine uh, when you get a 
when you get a lead from the website, um, it's a long way from there to signing a forty or fifty thousand dollar contract to uh, to build something in your backyard. And so that's sort of a big. This is more sales driven than most SMBs, I would say. Xavier, how does this business handle the the actual labor component? Are they self performing or subbing most of the labor? It's all subbed. The internal construction management kind of stops at, I guess you'd call it the general contractor. So they're they're essentially acting as a general contractor and and subbing out all the the plumbing and the shotcrete and everything else that that needs to be done to to build the pool. You brought up a good point there. So I, I'm pretty sure in this market, it's pretty much all shotcrete and gunite, right? Concrete pools. It's not fiberglass liners or anything like that. No, not not for the most part. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's it's a lot of shotcrete. Now the the ground is very, very hard in this market. <laughs> so sometimes you have to dig out rocks. And uh, you know, so so that is one thing that can slow down the the process. But in in the in the spectrum of margins for pool construction, shotcrete and gunite, at least in my experience, is definitely where you want to be. If I looked at somebody and all they were doing was like vinyl pools, I would be very, very concerned. You know, we actually looked at one in the Northeast that was doing doing very, very well on the vinyl pools, um, but they were selling they were selling high end stuff, so it wasn't uncommon for them to have a quarter million dollar pool. Wow, uh, Mill, why do you say that about vinyl pools as opposed to the concrete pools? It, it depends a lot geographically, but price point and margin are a really big factor there. Like you could, I think you can get a vinyl pool for you know half of what their average ticket is, or maybe twenty thousand dollars. Okay. Now there's a whole lot of things that go into it, right? Like what's the hardscaping around it? What kind of surface is it? You know, what type of, you know, guts does the pool have in terms of filtration and, and, you know, chemicals and everything, what type of system, but typically, right. If you're dealing with a lot of shotcrete and gunite and rebar, it's going to be a premium pool. And, and those folks are willing to spend a little bit more money, at least in our, in my geography in the Southeast, they're willing to spend a little bit more money and then they're willing to spend a little bit more money on the surround and the the margin on, you know, the tile installation could be, you know, a really nice kind of kicker. Yeah, that's that's the real key in this business I've seen. We as, as so we looked at this one and and um another one was, you know, everything around it, right? The barbecue pit and the pagoda and um whatever else gets done in the backyard, all of that is usually really high margin once someone has committed to actually building the pool. And so it's trying to get that base level pool as as reasonable as possible and then building up from there. One thing that's really, really cool about this, the pool business in general is this permits that we have on the screen. So not every job that happens on a residential property is permitted. Like if you, right, if you own a garage door business and you want to know your target market, you can look at how many houses are in the zip code, but you don't necessarily know how many have garages. But this tells you, right, this is how many permits were pulled for pools. And you can look at it historically and it gives you a pretty good barometer of what the what the total addressable market is and what's happening to it over time. But like window installation, like there's a lot of home services, right, that you just don't pull a permit and the permitting information isn't readily available, even if it is. You know, there's there's actually a little company in the area that does a power rankings for uh, pool construction. And <laughs> so they'll they'll list out all the companies and how many permits they pulled this year and this month and and uh, stack them up. So everybody knows exactly how they're doing against their competition, which which is pretty interesting. What is this company's sales funnel like, Xavier? Like, how, is it is it kind of broad based? Is it billboards? Like, what's their funnel like? So. 
it's surprisingly for given given the overall presentation of the business has really good internet marketing and one of the um there's a company that um essentially only does one you know one provider per market and so for whatever reason um they they had found a really good company and partnered up with them and and actually was driving basically as as many leads as as they could you know field with the service team um and actually build yeah so so leads will come in and then uh salespeople are are highly incentivized to get out there on site meet with the customer and um you know and and basically design a pool very quickly at least uh there there's some software you can use to design what you know what it's going to look like and what things they might like to add and what color it's going to be and so really the you know the funnel is primarily online and i think that's you know i think that's where more and more people look if they're it also has been around so long that there are tons of people who refer dolphin pools because mm-hmm. it's 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 well known in the area i would say my my lift driver hit rate was over 50% about knowing about dolphin pools and and knowing that it, it existed <laughs> that's a good so, that's a good gauge so xavier you know one one pattern i've noticed is this sim shows there's kind of three pool construction companies in phoenix that kind of matter and then everybody else's noise. It's actually the same way here in San Antonio. Like there's three pool contractors that matter, and then actually they're all related. <laughs> so they all they were like family and got gotten squabbles and started their own companies. But anyway, don't worry about that. But is there some dynamic of this business that causes that type of concentration where there's just a handful of majority ones that matter per market, or is it just dumb luck that it's that way in these two, you know, Sunbelt Sunbelt cities? You know, I think there's a there's a kind of few local maxima here around the size that is effective because you can be a kind of one man show and you can go out and sell five or ten pools and essentially manage the projects yourself and you know subcontract them and you know that can be a way that a guy, a guy can earn a living. Um, is is so there's a long tail where there's a bunch of people doing you know five, ten, twenty pools a year or they do it as part of a general contracting. Uh, operation and then to actually professionalize your sales professionalize your marketing uh, professionalize your construction management you need some pretty significant volume of business you need to be essentially building 100 plus pools a year for that to make sense because it's not a super high margin business no matter how well you run it and and so i think that's probably where these other companies sort of land is they've they've made that leap uh over time to you know to professionalizing those those functions and um actually number one in phoenix is none other than brent Bishore, uh known to to many of us they they own uh presidential pools which is sort of the 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 king of the phoenix pool market yeah so it's either if you think um, brent's a good capital allocator great business to buy or if you're afraid of competing with brent uh, you know, maybe this runaway screaming. Well, <laughs> Xavier, I think you might have an opinion. I, on this, I, in fact. Well, I both are true. <laughs> so it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm both absolutely terrified of Brent. And I think that, uh, Phoenix is, uh, is a wonderful bet. So, uh, we did dive in. This was, this was fun to share this because, uh, Siev and I did dive in and work out a deal with the owners. Uh, so I can tell you a little bit of the postmortem of what happened. So we closed. We closed on Dolphin at the end of at the end of last year, and it has been the greatest gift we got was they said, "Hey, we really don't want to run our full earnout here. We had worked out a two year earnout on this business, and they said, "You know, there's a guy who's so good, 
that we would trust him with our earnout and we'll actually bonus him out of our earnout to come in and run this business. And so mm-hmm. they essentially said, here's your, here's your guy with 40 years experience in the pool industry who we think is amazing and is ready to run his own show. And he'd actually looked at buying out uh, Dolphin himself and hadn't, you know, hadn't quite been able to pull together the backers and so on to do it. Um, so it's been a really, um, it's been a really wonderful partnership with Jeff Mano, who runs uh, runs this business. So oh, we, this has awesome. the both the Phoenix wind at its back and the COVID wind at its back. So uh, this year, permits have been up sixty percent uh, in the in the local market. Wow. So it's it's just. We've, uh, we've also grown around 60%. So we're literally just keeping up with the growth in the, in the overall market. How did you, uh, how did you find the deal? And could you walk us through kind of everything from your original, like becoming aware of it, pursuing it, and then, and then kind of getting to closing? Well, it's, it's really a funny story because we actually went almost to the finish line with another pool construction company. And so that was where we learned the we learned about the business and we thought, hey, actually if these are run well, there's there's some pretty good economics in this. And we we got very close and it was the owner just deciding uh not to sell at the end, um, which which has happened to us a couple of times actually. If somebody is is uh you know is is at retirement but they in the end they just don't want to let it go. And so we said, okay, well have we seen any other uh, pool deals. And this was a broker deal that had come, that come to see Avon kind of, we fished it back out and said, Hey, this actually, there might be something here. And so, you know, as, as you can see, the SIM was actually, this was the SIM that we got, which was about six months old when we got it. And they had actually beat their, their numbers for the year. So they, when we bought it, they were at, now that I think about this, this may actually be a year and a half old, um, this, this SIM that we have, but this was the last SIM that was published. And so, I think they were marketing it mainly to, you know, to strategic buyers and they just couldn't quite find the right one. And so we became aware of it and they were at 20 million in revenue and, and three in EBITDA and, you know, kind of had the wind at their back. So we were um, a lot, we've, we've looked at some other construction businesses and there's a lot of things, you know, that aren't great about those like long cash cycles and need for bonding and, and um, need for deep industry expertise. And, and, Pool construction, you you need somebody running it who really, really, really knows what they're doing. Um, I will say that. And Jeff, Jeff has had to be very on top of um, his supply chain in particular and his subcontractors because it's been a crazy, been a crazy market. And they need to be very customer focused because people are impatient when their backyard is is dug up uh, for six months plus, as you can imagine. But in general, we we were able to work out a deal that got us comfortable with it, and we really liked the the price point. You know, these are forty or fifty thousand dollar construction projects. Our our price point is ne- average price point is now over fifty. Um, so we've been able to work up market a bit. We're also doing remodels now, which are which are higher margin than than new construction. And we thought the most obvious thing was to get pool service in place, and we haven't done it yet. So another business we looked at. They build a million dollars of pool service on January first every year, just auto build it. But I think the Phoenix market is is so pool oriented that there's so many providers and there's there's a, some logistics to getting around and servicing them. So it seems like it's a it's a less valuable proposition than than it was for the other one we looked at. Yeah, and low barrier so, to entry. Yeah, yeah. But uh, biz by sell, which I think I'm 
butchering the name again for you, Mills. Like, like I went to go look for pool deals before this episode because I wanted to talk about one today. And uh, like, it's pool route after pool route after pool route. Like, there's just a, a red ocean going on there. Um, so, Xavier, in terms of actually, like, precisely, like, how did you find the deal? Was it like, were you guys cold calling brokers? Was it was it web searches? Like what? No, what, this was. What was it that this was know? a? So we had um, we had gone and talked to a lot of brokers when we started looking for transactions to do and built some relationships. And so this one originally came in through my partners. So I know that it was a broker inbound to him. So he had been mm-hmm. he had been sent a summary and said, "Hey, you guys might be interested in this." And I think we we passed it at the first look. And then when the other pool company didn't work out, then he went back and was like, Hey, are there any other pool companies we've, we've seen? And we, we dove a bit deeper and we called them up and Hey, they hadn't been sold yet. They were really wanted to get a deal done before the end of the year. They, um, and I think we just really liked the founders. They were really just salt of the earth. One of them was said, I will not work a day after I sell this business. <laughs> I'm going to the golf course. <laughs> like Steve will stick around and transition, but I'm out. <laughs> and I have to really respect that, to be <laughs> honest. But it sounds like also you did a great job of not buying jobs for you two guys. And that this general manager, local market CEO, it seems like the critical thing to have that happen. So you fortunately got lucky that they had an employee who was ready you know, what, what sort of things have you done to structure the deal to make it to where, you know, him leaving doesn't, doesn't become a risk for you guys in terms of making the deal work? You know, the main thing we've done is make his job so good that he will, at least we tried to say, you know, this will be so lucrative for you to grow this business and over sufficiently long, you know, long period of time that, you know, you ideally you'll love your job and you won't want to leave, you know, until, until, you know, at some point he'll, he'll retire, but hopefully he's, he's having fun. So I think, I think the thing that we've done well is we've been, you know, we have monthly board meetings, but we're awfully hands off. I, I don't think we've made a single decision for him or told him a single thing. No, you shouldn't do this. I think what we found generally is the number one way to, you know, not buy yourself a job, which is probably the biggest danger in trying to build a conglomerate out of small businesses is, is really over hire for the CEO if anything. So Jeff was running about an $80 million PL at a, at a public company before he, um, he joined us. So he knew what that looked like. And so we paid up a lot more than you would just pay for a general manager. Uh, we paid for a proper CEO and basically built mm-hmm. that into the, into the business model. Uh, so, but that, that is, that has worked out well. Xavier, why did, why did the sellers want to sell? They were really at retirement age. They really, uh, they're 50, 50 and they were, they were working in their retirement. You know, they weren't like, oh, I'm 55 and I want to retire early. They were like ready to be retired. And, mm-hmm. you know, this was, this was something where they couldn't quite, um, you know, maybe they could have handed it over to Jeff themselves and work this out. But I think they, they were ready to just take some money off the table and, and be done. Yep. So as you look back on, on this experience of, you know, going to the altar with another deal, doing this deal. And then it's turned out, I think better than you probably modeled it. It sounds like maybe even better than your optimistic case. Like what, what sort of one or two things do you, do you feel like you guys really learned from this experience and this deal so far? There's, I would say three great learnings. So one is like just having the wind at your back is so helpful. 
And so it's really focused us on markets that are growing just organically. The market is expanding. So I've seen some great businesses in contracting markets. And you realize that that it's even if they're a great business, it's so hard to grow because there's more established companies fighting for fewer customers, whereas we're essentially just riding on the back of the growth of Phoenix and and doesn't look like that's going to slow down anytime soon. So that's one thing. I would say the second thing is that uh, Jeff is really the model for the kind of CEO we want to seek out uh, to the extent that we're now trying to find Jeff Manos even before we find a deal. Because if we had been partnered with Jeff, we would have found a pool company for him to run. And that would have been, if we needed to raise money for it, it would have been the easiest raise in the world. But this company without Jeff, uh, you know, is is not nearly as valuable. And and so I think that trying to line up that CEO at the same time as you line up an acquisition is like one plus one equals five. Mm-hmm. Xavier, we've had some folks on the podcast who, you know, have kind of gone the SBA route. They're buying one business. It's their first transaction. They're kind of scraping together, raising equity, and then signing a personal guarantee and having, you know, kind of just traditional recourse loans in the world of kind of this postmodern conglomerate, which I really like that term, how do you guys think about sources of capital? Is it all cash flow from operations from your existing business? Do you use a mix of you know cash that accumulates and debt? Do you use third party money? Like how, how does it work for you guys? As much as you're willing to share, yeah, no, it's um, I can I can share most of it. So you know, it's a tricky thing to bootstrap. Because ideally, you have one really well cash flowing business, and then that just funds everything. You know, like Andrew Wilkinson founded <laughs> Tiny because he had an agency that was that was spinning off cash, and he wanted to diversify into into longer term, you know, business ownership. So for us, we have done a few SBA deals. Um, so that was part of our bargain with our initial investors: was hey, we will we will be willing to personal guarantee, personally guarantee um, some deals to sort of bootstrap what we've found doing it is if we're creative enough, uh, we can actually get most deals done um, with some combination of debt, uh, seller financing. We have two deals we've done that are 90% seller financed, which I never would have expected. Um, We have, we've had deals, I'm trying to think if we've closed one, but there have been a few cases where you could completely finance the deal through reasonable leverage, um, either because Mm -hmm. the, the seller wants to keep an equity stake or you know they uh, they're they're willing to sell or finance a significant part, um, and then of course cash flow helps. So Dolphin's a great yeah. example of one that just it doesn't require capex. Uh, Girdley, you, you posted about this recently. Dolphin is the classic example of the low capex, high cash flow um, small business. Like we we couldn't really spend capex on that business if we tried. Other than actually the business. Uh, uh, Brent's group owns. They built a giant pool park <laughs> that uh, that apparently does sell pools. So at um, at some <laughs> point uh, that that may be what happens. But besides that, we 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 find it really hard to spend capex on on dolphin pools. Have you been able to keep from having to cross collateralize your businesses? And like when I say that, just for listeners, you know, you have businesses maybe that have less uh, loan to value or less leverage on the balance sheet. If you cross collateralize, it's using that, you know, another company's balance sheet to borrow, you know, in order to do a different transaction or in this yeah. case, you have several balance sheets, right? Yeah, that's been, that's been the holy grail. So sometimes it's kind of a funny, we'll cross collateralize ourselves as, as guarantors, 
before we'll cross collateralize mm-hmm. the holding company as a, so there's no debt on the books of the holding company and there, there never will be, but there is, you know, there's only equity at the holding company. And so then each company, the other thing that we found is that we can raise money into subsidiaries sometimes more easily than we can raise it into the holding company because it's a yeah. sector focused investor or an investor that likes the, um, likes the CEO or likes the deal. Um, so we didn't raise any money into Dolphin Tools, but we, I think we pretty easily could have, and we could today if we were selling off shares in Dolphin Pools today. I think we could we could find buyers for that. So we have um, uh, we have another uh, group that does software and uh, marketplace, and we're you know we're talking to one investor that really likes those specific things. And when you talk about well, Enduring Ventures has like you know a pool construction company, they're like, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah give me the software <laughs> all right I've, I've continued to berate you with questions on this so do you guys we, we have another deal you guys want to keep talking do you, or is everybody okay i think on we time? should keep doing this i mean this this is interesting i i can berate xavier with questions too on whole call structures and i think our audience is probably into it all right let's keep well. let's keep going on this for a few more minutes and we'll we'll table the other deal the payday lender for another day for people who are interested yeah. in that it'll be on a future episode yeah so Mills, can I can I yeah, get one in here? Yeah, Pepper yeah. Xavier. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so Xavier, I'm I'm interested. You got a pool company. You got a software company. Uh, you said there's you know there's no debt at the, at the parent whole code level. What is at the whole code level? Do you have any shared services? Do you do any kind of billbacks? You know, intercompany any accounting at all? Or is the whole code just holds equity and everything runs totally on its own? So we have um, we've been heavily inspired by Constellation Software in particular, uh, which which runs a famously small head office. Obviously, Berkshire runs a small head office, and so we have one CPA, we have one uh, legal operations guy who basically manages deals. He's he's um, I actually went to law school. He doesn't have a JD, but but he's he knows he knows enough about the law uh, to to do docs himself, and then also manage external counsel. And then we have one kind of people and culture uh, person. So I would say the only semi-shared service is like the shared HR, sort of both tactical HR and like strategic HR. And uh, everything else, it's like, go find your own accountants, go find your own, um, you know, if if your accounting really sucks, then our, our guy will come in and fix it. But, you know, in general, uh, it's he's, he's more of a backstop than a... Than a, than a front line. Uh, so he's more like at a, at a controller level. And we also have one, uh, one M&A guy. Uh, that's the other thing. So he's almost, he's almost like a minority partner in some ways. Like he takes equity in some deals when he's involved in them. And one of the cool things about the whole co-structure is you can do equity on a deal by deal basis. So we have a number of, you know, um, people who have equity in individual companies in the structure without, without having um, the same share of equity in the whole co. Yeah, so it's I've noticed. So our my business elements brands also structures a whole code, but we have done it all in one entity. So we just buy all the assets in, and it's just one big thing. You know, there are advantages to that because I can move resources back and forth without doing intercompany accounting. Um, the downside is I don't have the flexibility that you just described, which is really interesting. Of you know, different cap tables at each company level, and it seems like you kind of have to do one or the other, or you sign up for accounting help. If you keep separate cap tables and then have a bunch of shared services, you're like, you've got like, you know, your, your white collar information workers with like time clocks on their desk, mm-hmm. you know, like trying to, trying to do allocation. And it's kind of miserable. Is that kind of how you thought about it? You said we got to do one or the other and you pick that side of the barbell. 
I think we knew that we would have different cap tables and different, um, you know, just, just, just different structures. Like each company that we bought would be its own situation with its own shareholders, which could include the CEO or not. It could include different lenders, et cetera. So that, that needs its own set of books. Um, so I think from the beginning, it was saying, Hey, we, we're willing to sign up for that, that ex- existing overhead of more tax returns, more, um, more of everything. Honestly, we don't consolidate the, the books of the whole hold code that often because it's not even that useful. We eventually will, you know, obviously you have to consolidate on a yearly basis. Um, so we'll eventually get that engine humming really well. But in, you know, it's more important that the individual companies keep their books square. Um, so you know what's going on. Yeah. So you kind of get to choose financing flexibility with separate cap tables and, and the structure you've chosen, or a little bit more operational flexibility and the ability to flow human assets and, and resources in between porcos. If you try to go down the middle, you kind of end up in, in messy town. Yeah, I think I think that's a really um, astute way of saying it. And we because we do we do sometimes share humans. So we have some folks on our team we call operating partners. And they're, they're more on a tour of duty than as like a long-term member of an individual team. So typically a specialist in something and they'll, they'll go either. I think we have one, you know, we have a few of equity in multiple companies where they've worked for six or 12 months and they've gotten a stake and then, and then gone to the next thing. So uh, we even have one who started a business with us after working in one of the companies uh, and we, we financed the startup. So cool. All right, what other questions we got? Mills, you want got any other questions for Xavier or Michael? Uh, how do you feel about the changes to QSBS? Oh, and maybe we talk about what QSBS yeah, is. Yeah, so uh, in the in the category of pitchforks and torches at, at Congress, <laughs> um, that's what we need to storm the Capitol on, guys, is, is QSBS. I mean, we, we just need to <laughs> need to barricade the doors. Um, uh, do you want to say what it, do you want to say what it is real fast? Yeah, sure. So um so QSBS, uh, for those who don't know, is a um if you invest in a C corp or you found a C corp and you hold the shares for five years, you individually can be at zero percent cap gains up to either ten million dollars or ten x your investment, whichever is greater. So if you invest two million dollars in an early stage C corp and that grows in value, you can take twenty million out uh, cap gains free. Now, some people might say, "Well, is that just making the rich richer?" And um, the answer is, well, sometimes yes. But what it's doing is preferentially, it's making small business and startup investment preferential to big business because we can all go buy shares with app of Apple and Tesla and whatever else with our with our incremental capital. But that doesn't necessarily help the economy grow the next Apple and Tesla. And so, giving preferential treatment to startup investment is something that countries all over the world do. Many do it, frankly, much better than the U.S. And so we're essentially. Um, sacrificing our last great startup incentive uh, at the altar of everyone who makes over $400,000 in a year is unfathomably rich and we should tax them as highly as, as humanly possible, uh, which is where, where at least Congress came out on that. So the Senate, I've been telling, well, I think it's, I've been telling everyone who listens, yeah, it's important. It's a, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to add the QSBS is getting, got killed in that bill that came out of the house, but uh, pri- big private equity guys carried interest did not get hurt. And their loopholes got there. They're very unprotected. There is one rule in any new legislation is that small business owners 
get it in their ear every time. <laughs> in, in that, the truth. Sorry, Xavier, talk about the Senate. Yeah, Please, sorry. so I was going to say, so this is going to the Senate, and as uh, anybody who follows us knows, the Senate is literally 50-50. So if only one Democratic senator, including Mark Warner, who used to be a venture capitalist and benefited from QSBS, if any of them just stand up and say, this is bullshit, we should protect QSBS, then that will not become law and we can keep QSBS in the books. So just, in, I just, because eventually someone will actually know a senator, I encourage everyone to, at the minimum, tweet at them and at the maximum, call your local senator and say, we actually care about this, this, this matters to small business and both as investors in small businesses and as, as owners of them. So it's my piece on that. Xavier, maybe as a way to wrap up, will you kind of tell us what your strike zone looks like? I mean, you you kind of hold assets at either end of the spectrum of, of the privately held universe, at least. If somebody says, hey, what, what type of deal should I send to you, right? Or if a broker's asking you that, how do you how do you define your strike zone? I define my strike zone as DMs are open, and I will give you a very quick answer. I mean, we've done <laughs> we have done a as small as 600k as big as 15 million dollar deal size. So we're we're pretty on omnivorous in that way. Let's see what else can I say. We are we are definitely actively looking. Um, we we like operational turnarounds. We don't mind those at all as long as we can see a clear path. Um, and sometimes, so I really love any time a, a venture funded company uh, doesn't. Can't has revenue, but can't get any more venture capital. Those those I really love. We we did one deal up council that I wrote about that you can you can find on my Twitter, and uh, we, we I would love to do more of those. Uh, what else to say about deals? We we are flexible around the U.S. too, so we we like to look at a lot of stuff and say does this does this feel special? I, I guess is the best way to say it. Does it feel like a really good market, a really good team, um, a business we can understand, um, reasonable multiple on, on cash flow? How do you, how do you describe what you do? Like what's the category? Cause well, you, you and I do pretty s- similar stuff and I have no clue how to describe it. So how do you, how do you do it? <laughs> it's really hard at the cocktail parties. Honestly, I think your Berkshire Hathaway yeah. on acid is like the, the best description that I I've now adopted that as, <laughs> as a description of what I do. It, I deleted it. Cause <laughs> I deleted it from my profile. Cause it doesn't work. I've tried it like 10 times and people are like, what? Like, are you the Chili's guy? <laughs> like, that's what I get this reaction again. Oh my God. Well, you, you, you pigeonholed yourself there already. So no matter what you do, um, <laughs> the internet did it to me. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I say we buy and we buy and we grow beautiful businesses. Like that's probably the simplest way I can say it. Um, uh, small and beautiful businesses. Usually sometimes I use the word small. Sometimes I don't, because I think business is beautiful. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be qualified as small. And I think like, you know, Dolphin Pools does well. It did twenty million in revenue before we bought it. It'll it'll do probably thirty next year. That's not that small of a business. And so, I think uh, you know, small is a relative term, but but I think you know, beautiful businesses generally uh, founded and and ready for ownership transition is is uh, you know, it's a good description. I think that's a great place to a great place to end it, Xavier. That's a really really fun discussion, man. I'm. Really glad you came on. What can our listeners do to support you? How can they follow you and uh, stay up to date with what you're doing? Well, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, which I really only became a passionate user of in the past year, but has been amazing for my life. So it's at Xavier Helg. I'm the only Xavier Helgeson on the internet, which is really helpful. So if you just uh, it's a valuable thing, it really is. So so Twitter, uh, you know, if you can spell my name, you can find me on the internet. 
certainly on LinkedIn, but I, I loathe LinkedIn. So um, Twitter is a, is a better place to find me. Let's see. Uh, obviously, if you DM me any uh, opportunity to talk about buying a business or recapitalizing a business, that's very exciting. We uh, let's see. We may be looking for a CFO for one of our, our portfolio companies, especially if they have background in home services. Um, if anybody uh, meets that criteria, we'd love to talk to you. I'm also always looking for uh, more folks who want have experience running a PNL in the corporate world. Um, 15 or 20 years and want to go buy a business and maybe need a partner to help them find the business and finance the acquisition, uh, would love to talk to anybody who meets that criteria. Those are some good leads. Thanks. Thanks. That was See, awesome. That's awesome. You, you, you won the, you won the award for the most asks of any guest. So and <laughs> you didn't even get to the one minute of beatboxing I suggested in the prep meeting. I can keep going, Gurley. I'll just, I'll just hijack this. It's all good, man. Otherwise I, I have to pay for it. Like the SMB bash guys. Like, you know, this is, <laughs> this is the only free one I get. <laughs> Uh, it's awesome. I mean, I think my, my opinion about this podcast is the more helpful the three of us can be to people in your shoes who are doing cool stuff and making cool stuff happen, you know, the better the podcast will be. So we're happy to do it. Well, I'm grateful you guys are doing this. Do we have any other sponsor announcements? Oh, we do. We do. We, uh, we got so into uh, cross-examining Xavier (laughs) that we forgot. Um, yeah. So, uh, our other sponsor is a first time sponsor. And believe it or not, it is my neighbor who got to know me by listening to this podcast. So his name's Charlie you didn't Perrin. Know your neighbor before the podcast, dude. This is a three million person city. I don't know everybody oh, here. I, I thought like literally like your next door neighbor. Oh no, like three blocks away. I don't know. I, don't, I, I talk on Twitter. I don't go talk to real people. I'll give me a break. Uh, so anyway, he um, he's a cool guy. He's a, a former CPA that worked for other people. And branched out on his own a few years ago and does um, fully cloud-based bookkeeping. So he's cloudbookkeeping.com. His name's Charlie, super cool guy, runs operations here uh, all in the U.S. And if you are a small business uh, that sucks at bookkeeping, he has tons of clients just like you. And he can help you take care of that through, you know, just a a very good service from, you know, our lunch together. And uh, again, check out them, cloudbookkeeping.com. And uh, his name's Charlie. So I'm super excited for them to be a sponsor today. Thanks, Charlie. All right. So we'll we'll wrap there. Thanks again to Cloud Bookkeeping and SM Bash and to Xavier. Really fun one. And we'll see you guys next time. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Xavier. All right. 